0: Hi, I'm Peter Patagor. I died ice climbing.
1: My name is Jennifer Dean and my near-death experience was from an adverse reaction to chemotherapy
2: treatments.
3: My name is Chris Batts. My near-death experience was my suicide attempt.
2: My name is Sharon Milliman and I died when I was struck by
3: lightning. Some people fear death, others do not. But it's safe to say that almost all of us are curious about what happens after our heart clock takes its supposed final tick. The NDE, Near Death Experience, has over 10 million documented accounts in the United States alone. Here are just a few NDEers who tell their chronicle of what lies ahead.
0: It was 1981 and I was a National Student Exchange student at Montana State University. I went down to the outing club and I found a tag outside the outing club of a man asking for a partner to go to Alberta and British Columbia for a 10-day ice climbing and snow caving trip. Eight days snow caving, one day ice climbing. So we met and we found that we had complementary skills, we geared ourselves up and we left. The thing that made our climb so difficult was that I only had one ice axe instead of two. I had a hammer in one hand and an axe in the other. Ice climbing's not like backpacking. Backpacking, you can go back down the trail if things look tough, but ice climbing, you have to complete the climb and go to the rappel in order to get off. You can't go back down the way you came up. And so for hours before we reached our destination, we knew the kind of trouble that we were in. So we're sitting on the top of the climb and hypothermia begins. We get the physical shakes, we shiver. We shiver so that every muscle, large and small, contracts, feels like in opposite situations. And so I'm shaken and my jaw is clattering and the, the sweat that's touching my skin is now freezing. My, I'm beginning to freeze and we knew the situation was desperate. My feet were frozen blocks of ice, I couldn't bend my toes, I still can't feel my big toe. There came this moment when I realized I was not going to get out of this and then I began to fall asleep and I would fall asleep which is last stages. I'd fall asleep, I'd collapse. I'd be unconscious, I would black out. I'd be, hit, hit, fall down and hit the, the ledge I was standing on, helmeted head, wake up because of the crash, stand back up, pull myself up, pull the rope, repeat. I don't know how many times. And then I stood up this time. And as I stood up this last time, I, my peripheral vision had black, a big black circle around it and like a spotlight and it just collapsed and i watched it i looked around and as i looked around it followed my vision so i knew it was in my head and it just until it was gone and as it blacked out i thought oh i'm falling asleep well this is weird i've never seen this before i must be passing out and when it went black i didn't pass out i didn't black out i was in darkness but i was conscious in darkness and all of my pain was gone and I in my vision in front of me, where the mountain had been, when I'd been standing, op- it, like a, it just felt like it looked like it opened up for me into this vast darkness, this vast horizon, far as I could see. And I could see that it was darkness. I could see this darkness extending sort of from my peripheral vision, outward uh, into infinity. And I remember wondering, what is this? And way, way far in the far, furthest distance was a, a little pinprick, like a, a pinprick through a piece of paper with light behind it. And I suddenly there was a bit of light in the middle of this darkness. And that light came rushing toward me at, incredible speed faster than the distance it could have covered it the speed of light it was so far away and came so fast and as it came toward me it expanded and got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger proportionally and it was almost at the snap of a fingers it was right on me and it communicated to me telepathically I heard it inside of myself and it said to me without language I'm taking you and I thought you're not taking me and I took all of my willpower that I had strengthened myself with or was strengthened by through the night and I put it up as a shield and it just reached right through and took me, plucked me right out. And, and in the moment of the plucking, I had this overwhelming sense of all power, all powerful. And it just took me. And I was like a rag doll in a boat and a river. And I was enveloped inside of this intellect because it was talking to me the whole time, uh, saying, uh, I love you, here's comfort, here's healing. And it it swept me up and out. I I, I talk in metaphor here. This is, I say up and out, I say angel, I say, intellect, none of these come close to what it is. It's so much more, all I can do is approximate it. And so I, was comfortable. I was fearless. I was home. I was me. And and then there's. I tell this. I tell my story in a sequence of events, but there's no sequence of events because this is timelessness. I know I'm in timelessness. It's not just the now, the eternal now, which it is. It's all time, everywhere in the eternal now. It's not just linear time in our universe or how time bends. It's it's all time. It's in it, and, and it's all right where I am. And it shows me my human life. And in my human life, it sees all of my dark corners. There is there's nothing hidden from it. And I go through a, a hell of my own making. I go through all of the pain that I gave away in my life to everyone in sequence from their point of view. As if I'm inside them experiencing the moment that I gave it to them and their emotional response to the meanness or the cruelty or the the wound that I intended to give them. Every single event in which I caused pain to somebody I experience from inside of them and I see all the justifications and reasons that I had for causing their pain. All of this expresses inside of my head simultaneous to what I experience from inside of them and I judge myself. I I judge myself as guilty. I am guilty for causing them undeserved pain. But I judge myself not against myself or against them. I judge myself against the immensity of the love in which I am immersed The love is speaking inside of me, saying, I love you. But it's not just the words, I love you. It's an experience of infinite love. And it it filled me, expanding me, making me bigger and larger till my my energy self felt like if another bit was entered into me, I would have obliterated into non-being. In the state of awe and adoration, I asked, am I dead? and the voice said yes you're dead come home it's time for you to come home i said but i haven't gone through the tunnel yet and the voice said no come home choose make a choice and i said but my parents can't afford to lose another child can i come back here can i go back there and and be with my parents to lessen some of their suffering and can I then come back to the state of my divine being and the voice said yes the first thing that happened to me coming back into the world of suffering was suffering and i immediately regretted it i regretted my choice and as my brain came back online i began to hear and I began to hear noise and sound and eventually it becomes screaming and yelling and shouting. And I'm my, this thing I'm inside of, which I don't understand, begins to move and, and, I'm, and my eyes open and I begin to see and I don't understand seeing or what's where I am or who I am or what I am. I have no understanding of what's going on except for pain all i know is pain and and i i get pulled and pulled and i begin to stand up and and it's tim and he's 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 shouting at me and yanking at me and trying to drag me up and he's yelling it and i begin to understand what he's saying he's like you were dead you were dead you were dead if you died i was going to die and he's crying and and he must have been crouched over me trying to wake me and i was unresponsive and and I stood up, and I don't know where I am, and I don't even know what his name is. And, and finally, I begin to understand the language he's using. And, and then he says, pull the rope, and I yank the rope, and it comes free on the first pull. And we descend, and we go to the car, and my brain is now functioning. And I'm, I, I don't know what's going on, but I know everything I knew before. From that point on, I've never been the same person. I came back a different being. I'm still my soul. The problem isn't that I came back a different being. It's that now I know who I am. I know where I'm from. I know to whom I belong. And the world can't, doesn't ever change that.
1: When I was 13 years old, I was diagnosed with acute lymphocytic leukemia. And this is 1995. Um, They didn't particularly know what to do back then for leukemia. Um, My parents were literally told that they knew more about leukemia in cats. So I underwent um, aggressive chemotherapy treatments um, because, and and most of it was experimental. And they had told my parents, this is a 50-50 shot, we don't really know, Um, and I ended up having a massive adverse reaction to intrathecal chemotherapy. I remember, like it was yesterday, I was wheeled down to go get my first round of radiation to my brain um, because the radiation was part of the protocol as well. And I still have the tattoos on my face that they tattooed to make sure they have to make sure it's in the same spot every time because it's killing cells. So. They wheeled me down. I was with my mom. I was sitting in my wheelchair, just I was eating a piece of candy, and uh, I was the next patient to go. And I remember they made me take out my earrings to go do this because I had earrings in because I was bald and I kind of looked like a boy because I was young, so I put earrings in. So they were like, "Take the earrings out. You can't have them." And I remember looking in the mirror at myself, and I. It felt weird, I don't know. It felt like I was just staring into my soul. Next thing you know, my head went. Like I was having a hard time holding my head up. And then my whole arm, my left arm went dead. Then my left leg went dead. And I looked over at my mom and I said, mom, something's wrong, I don't feel good. And she panicked because my mouth was drooping. And it looked like I was having a stroke and she was a home health aide for years. She knew what that looked like. So she ran, she got the nurse. They put me in my bed, they called my oncologist. He came up, and when he looked at me, he looked super scared. I said, am I going to die? Because I just looked, the fear was, I I just felt it. And I was like, am I going to die? And he said, I don't know. And then that's when I was just like, well, this is it. I was at peace with that. I was okay with that. And then all of a sudden my left side started to come back and I was able to talk again. And it was just weird. It kind of reversed and the doctors were just, they didn't know what was happening. I was eating my lunch. And all of a sudden I went to, I was eating a carrot and I went to swallow the carrot and I almost choked and my dad looked over at me very quickly and I looked at him and said, It's happening again. But he said that I didn't say that. There was just tears. My eyes filled with tears and my voice was shaky and it just sounded like gibberish. But I was trying to say it's happening again. And then boom, I was out. I fell unconscious. Um, At this point, the chemotherapy was not done attacking my brain. So I slipped into a vegetative state. So they told my parents. I'm either going to be a vegetable the rest of my life or I'm going to be dead. So they told my family to call, call the family, have them come say goodbye because she's not going to make it out of this. And I was sleep slipping deeper. So I was like in and out of consciousness. Now when I slipped out the last time, I ended up in like a very peaceful, loving void, which is what it's called. It's just peaceful darkness. I wasn't afraid. I was completely at peace, completely accepting of whatever was happening. After that, I was very intuitive. Like my father always even said, like she always knew what to do for herself, you know. So, I would even to learn how to talk again. I would listen to music and try to keep up with the words. And it's just ever since going to that void, I don't fear death at all, not even one single bit. If anything, um, when I came out of that, I I figured that wherever I was, I want to do as much good on this earth so I can go back there. That's how peaceful it was. It wasn't scary because a lot of people think the dark would be afraid, like a scary place. Not at all. I don't know if it was the beginning of the tunnel, some people say. I am not sure. I just know it was complete peace. I had had a long go and a lot of pain in my physical life with the chemotherapy treatments. So to be in peace like that was just, there's no words. There are no words to describe that coming back. However, was a little bit rough <laughs> cause you come back to the body and there's a lot of work, there's pain. So then when my loved one passed away, it just took me to a dark place. Cause I was already depressed. And then I started to really lose my faith. And then when I was in this dark place contemplating, like, why am I here? Why am I still here? Like, I don't get this. I'm in pain every day of my life. Then two months later, I became pregnant with my son. I look back, I see it was a dark night of the soul and it was like almost an initiation into motherhood for me. Cause that was the biggest thing I've ever wanted in my life to actually feel Life, bro, inside of me, and it was amazing. It was so healing. And when I gave birth, it was interesting because when I was pushing my son out, I heard the nurse go, Okay, on the count of three, push. And I heard one, and then I was gone, and I ended up in the peaceful void again. And I came back to her saying, Good job. So she said, Two, three, and push, but I was not there for that. And they say that childbirth is like an out-of-body experience, and it truly is. It was like an initiation. In, my son initiated me into motherhood, and I am so grateful because I was in such a dark place, and I cry because I think if I had given up, I was this close to my son, and I would have like missed out on his whole life. Every time I look at him, it's like I feel God's love. I feel what I felt. as as close as it can get on earth (laughs) to God's love and what I felt in that void through my son.
3: Everything all started when I was six months old. My mom was on her way to a modeling career and this is what my grandma told me. So she was on her way to being a model. She was gonna do something, like she was gonna do a lot of things. She got pregnant by a guy that she met and they had me. Um, So I guess I was like the mistake dad wasn't really around he tried to kill me when my mom was pregnant but he got sent to jail for drugs for selling drugs so he was in prison for a while like the first few years of my life my mom um at six months old i don't know if it was postpartum or what but she felt that having a kid messed up her whole life so she threw me in a neighborhood dumpster so what ended up happening is the neighbor just so happened to be taking out her trash and she heard a baby crying like out of all the time she happened to take out her trash and she says oh my god she digged through the trash can and said i know this i know this baby she knew my mom so my grandma was at church so she calls my grandma's church and says you need to come home because your grandson is in a dumpster And he's with me and i'm not i'm not taking him anywhere i'm not letting him go with anyone until you get here so my grandma came and so you know after that they went to court my grandma got custody of me judge told her she could never have me again so i was with my grandma up until i was four years old the reason um my grandma ended up getting sick she had a nervous breakdown so she was in the hospital for a year so during this time i was going a couple places until I ended up <clears throat> I ended up moving into my mom's sister's place. This sister was like the worst. she had they had kids of their own but I was the outside kid. Um, I was a lot of abuse there. this was the worst darkest times of my life. a lot of abuse, a lot of um, physical and like mental abuse. It was all that. I didn't have any confidence anything in myself since I was a kid. So over the years i say i was about eight years old start cutting myself to like as my own therapy i tried to like kill myself when i was eight years old because eight years old i felt like i was grown already i felt like my life was already wasted by the time i was nine or ten i started having a better release and i started writing lyrics music lyrics this right here after high school started making me really more it brought the depression back and then it has social it brought social anxiety i was so like in fear of people i didn't even want to go on the bus because i knew people would stare at me when i walk on the bus and i'm like oh they're probably talking about me now or something like that social anxiety sucks um so that just went from not caring and more depression came the darker it seems like my soul got like i just didn't care about anything there's no reason for me to be here i kept calling asking for god for some type of like message or something seemed like everything was bad i wasn't getting anything back from them, so I said I'm just gonna plan I'm gonna plan myself a suicide I'm gonna get out of here and during my childhood I see my mom I can count maybe on one or two hands the amount of times I've seen her so I really don't know much about her I just know every time I seen her she would always tell me things like she's not my mom and she doesn't want me and how lucky I was to not for her not to abort me and I should just be grateful for that. So one day I was arguing with a friend. I left their house and they sort of knew what was going on. So I told her, I just left. As I'm walking down the street, I hear their car. They honk the horn. They're like, get in the car, get in the car. I got in the car and at all the moments in the world, my mom calls me. I'm talking to my mom. And she tells, I'm thinking, how the hell did she get my number in the first place? She tells me, your grandma gave me your number. She told me we were asking about her to ask if I talked to you. I called you to let you know I'm not your mom. I don't want you. I never wanted you. Get this through your head. You're not my son. So I looked at my phone and I said, fuck you, you never were. That's how I said it. And I rolled down the window, tossed it out. I looked at my friend in the driver's side. Now imagine somebody that suicidal already. They're planning it. So my my mom could have been that ultimate thing that made me me change my mind. Didn't happen. So what she said basically confirmed that I'm going to do this. I'm out of here. So I looked at my friend in the driver's side and I said... Like this opened the door and jumped out and I just remember this boom sound on the con when my head hit the concrete and that's when I had my near-death experience that's when all the near-death experience started so I think that boom after that was like this nothingness everything was slow motion like just slow and there was like these different colors like blue and black and red just all these colors but literally there was nothing there Then I felt this ultimate presence where I knew it was God. So the first thing I'm thinking during this time is like, oh, man, I'm like, I'm going to burn. Like, I'm going to burn. And I felt a bunch of love behind this entity. I didn't see it with my eyes. I just felt it. But you know, it's that ultimate God, what I know I'm as. So I'm like, you know what? Okay, I get it now. I get it. I'm not going to kill myself now. I'm just kidding. Like, let me go back and get perfect. And then I'll come back to you. And that entity, God, was like, no. Like, I want you now. Like, how you are now. And I'm like, what, me? Like, yeah. I want you now. So, I had a bunch of questions in my head. Like, because uh, like, I didn't know it was God. So, I'm like, who is this? So literally the order was like i am god yes i am real yes angels are real they're a gift from me want to meet them and i was like no it's like "Nope." i definitely didn't even believe in angels i thought that was just for tv i seen this projection projection screen and here's a like video of this prostitute walking by and then he's like i love her Then here's a guy in a business suit with a briefcase walking by. He says, I love him. Then here's a video of a guy like on a skateboard with a big joint in his mouth. He goes, I love him. What I took from that was, he doesn't have favorites. Like God loves everyone the same. That's what I took from that. He didn't say those exact words, but that's the message I got from those. So I'm like, well, what... Am I supposed to tell everyone? Like, if I go back, they're going to think I'm a real life crazy person. And he says, go and tell everyone that I love them. Like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, this is not human stuff right here. Um. So I felt, I didn't see. I just felt and get like on a knee and give me a hug. The tightest hug, the most safest hug I've ever gotten. I didn't want it to end. I felt like. I was more like at peace during this. Now I'm seeing angels. I see all these angels in groups. Now I literally, I didn't see God, but I seen these angels. I'm looking at them. There was two angels in particular that I, for some reason, was attached to right away. And they both grabbed one side of my arm, other grabbed the other side, and they're like, it's okay don't be scared. We love you. You're going to be okay. And then the softest voice, he was like, you have so much to do for so many people. And I'm like, like who me? I have so much to do for so many people. I look down, I see my body on the floor. I see the paramedics right here. And they're like, no, you need to, they're like, you need to realize stuff like this does happen. You're not going to believe it. It's like, you need to look again. So I looked down again. And then like a camera, it zooms way close to my face. So I seen everything. Like, here's my body. Here's my friend on their phone, separated way far apart from me. And then here's the paramedics here. And then there were so many like flashing lights. And I just remembered that you have so much to do for so many people. Thing. I didn't understand any of it then but I was like, I'll just, I'll go back and do it. Even though my life sucks anyway. So I went, I said, okay, I'll go back. But snap of a finger, I guess I'm back in my body. Next thing I woke up a couple of days later in the hospital. And as soon as I woke up, I'm in ICU and all the nurses are just looking at me and start calling me miracle and saying how much of a miracle I was. And they thought I wasn't coming back.
2: Um, this happened in 2005, and I was sitting on the back steps behind my house, and it had started to rain. And the man I was married to at the time, it, he was an electrician, and he had just got home from work. And I i was talking on a cordless phone, and I asked him if it was okay to sit underneath the the roof on the stairs and be on the cordless phone in the rain, and he told me it was okay so i continued talking and after he went in it was about five minutes later and i heard a loud crack Um, well there was thunder in the distance and then all of a sudden there was a loud crack and i saw the lightning bolt come out of the sky and it hit my right arm and after it hit me it traveled underneath the house and it blew the transformer that was in front of our house and i immediately I felt the searing, burning, agonizing pain and then I just kind of popped up out of my body like peeling a banana and I just peeled right up out of myself and um, I went into my house. I didn't know I was dead and I went into my house and I started walking around and I looked I walked into the kitchen and I looked, everything had this burnt gold look to it. And I looked at the curtains by my kitchen sink and they weren't my curtains. And then I went into the dining room and I noticed that the furniture wasn't my furniture. And I started to get, I was really confused, I didn't know what was going on. And I started to panic because I knew that was my house, I could get around in it but nothing in it was mine. And I didn't understand what was happening. And I started to get really, really upset. And just as I started to completely lose it, this huge, huge, formless, loving presence appeared and just filled me full of this amazing love that I've never felt in my whole life. And it was like he just wrapped me in this pink blanket, you know, and just. He held on to me, and and I knew that presence was God. There was this, it was like watching a a screen, an old-fashioned movie on an old-fashioned movie reel. I saw my whole life from, and it was black and white, and it was really fast, and then it was over really quick. But it was everything from the time I was born until the day, that, that moment that I died. I didn't know what to do with it and it, it was just over that quick and it was like okay something's missing I don't know what it is and my life must have been really boring because it's over so quick you know? and what was missing is that my whole life I thought we were supposed to judge ourselves you know that God would judge us but he didn't he just loved me he didn't judge me at all and I didn't judge me because I didn't know I was supposed to And so it was just over so fast. And I thought, okay, well, you know, it it is what it is. And I didn't feel bad or I felt loved, totally and completely loved. So at that point, I, I realized that God doesn't judge us. We judge ourselves. And I didn't do that. And so there was nothing more. And so then after that was over, I heard a male voice. And he said, what you put out into the universe will come back to you. And I had never heard those words before. So I, I didn't know what that really meant. And I was just in awe of the beauty that I was seeing and, and the love that I was feeling and the acceptance. I didn't, had never felt that in my life. And it was so, I just, I soaked it all up. So I started thinking about my parents. And I said, God, you've made my parents. You are in my parents. So when I see my parents, I see you. I said, yeah, that's right. And <laughs> and I was like, oh golly. Well, then I started thinking about um, my children, and I said the same thing about them. You, you made them, you're in them. So when I see them, I see you. And then when I started thinking about um, people who had hurt me, who had very cruel, and I, I felt pain, and I said. But, God, you made those people. You are in those people. So when I see those people, I see you. He doesn't make junk. He doesn't make mistakes. And I wasn't a mistake. He had a perfect reason for making me, and that he loved me. And, you know, all of my my adult life, I'd been told, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're this, you're that. And I was buying into it. And he, he didn't want me to believe that because he doesn't see me that way. He doesn't see anybody that way. And so that's why he was telling me, I love you and I don't make junk and I don't make mistakes and you're not junk and you're not a mistake. And then once that was over, um, I was back in my body. And if there was a conversation about whether I was to stay or go, It probably wasn't a good one because I don't remember that part of it, but, um, I did, I came back to my body and I was laying on the grass next to the stairs and there were char marks on the concrete stairs.
0: Near death experiencers almost always have trauma because the shock of dying, the shock of dying is a scary thing. Human beings are afraid of dying. We're afraid of death. Well, one of the side effects of NDE that is a defining characteristic is none of us are afraid of death anymore. I can tell you stories that have been told to me. I can show you um, medical proof of people's death. But what I can't show you is what skeptics are asking. Is it a hallucination? Is it a function of the brain? I can't prove that. My hope in the 21st century is that they do prove that.
3: So a lot of times I do hear people tell me you're hallucinating or you've met demons or that didn't really happen. How do you know? That sounds like DMT stuff like that. And I always tell them the proof was when I looked down. That's when I knew I would never doubt this experience ever again.
0: The proof of NDE is the love that I've pursued my whole life at Cost to myself for the sake of others. And I was not that way before, okay? Yeah, I was a mystical spiritual person, but I wasn't this guy. This guy, this guy knows I know who I am, I know who you are. That's the difference. Because when I look inside every single human being's eyes, I see the light. I also see whether they have a gate down and they hide the light, but I can't help but see the light.
2: Proof of an NDE um, would be like, um, I know of a woman who had an experience, uh, she had an NDE, she left her body and she saw a red shoe on top of the roof of the hospital when she came back to her body she told someone about this red shoe that she had seen on top of the building and one of the hospital workers went to find out if that really was there and it was in fact there
1: when you come back from these experiences you have synchronicities and there, there are after effects when you come back from these experiences and hundreds of thousands of end years experience these after effects. Um, if it wasn't real, if it was just a neurochemical reaction, we wouldn't have these after effects where your intuition is stronger
2: there was another instance where the woman was having brain, she had a brain aneurysm and an hour after she was put on anesthesia, very, very deep, um, she saw this instrument that looked, she, she described it as a um, like the shape of an electric toothbrush. Well, the surgeon, when she came out of the surgery, she told the, the surgeon that she had seen this, this instrument. And he said, there's absolutely no way you could have seen that instrument because that instrument was kept in a very um, sanitary, secure box and not even taken out until it was time to use it. And you had been under anesthesia for over an hour.
0: The tens of millions of near-death experiences living in the United States today As a result of medical science resurrecting, they say resuscitating, the dead has created a community, a nation, a global nation of near-death experiencers. I can't say all of whom because I haven't talked to all of them, but all the ones I've spoken to come back with a singular message of love
1: just because maybe one person or two people don't believe in near-death experiences does not make it that they're not real. They are absolutely real. Maybe we don't have the words or the science to explain it right now, but every good scientist has an open mind because we don't know everything yet.
0: And why I was given a choice, I don't know. But I know that I was given a choice and I regretted it because now I was an alien inside my body and everything looked to me to be less than everything was black and white and two-dimensional and eating eating was this most bizarre thing. On the drive home we stopped and we had pizza and I had to go into this illuminated place with all this plastic and all these people behind and plastic clothes and and then get a thing that I had to put in my mouth and consume it. I had to consume nothing. I had to consume nothing when I was dead
1: When I had my near-death experience, I don't feel like I was given a choice to come back. I just felt like I had to come back, especially because I saw my family look so scared and I knew they needed me.
3: I think my near-death experience definitely gives me a sense of like, I guess like you say responsibility to help certain people that don't know What it's like to have that type of experience because i was one of them i was oblivious and didn't know anything about like spirituality and like the gifts that spirit world has for us and stuff like that like i thought all that stuff was just bogus so there's so many people around the world like that and like they're lost and i'm like i feel very grateful that i had that opportunity so now i can help other people and also it helps me understand people better too my NDA
2: gave me a sense of responsibility i feel like i need to let people know that god is real that heaven is real and that um we're loved and that we are so important to everything god created no matter how little we might be in the vastness of all that He's created, the universe, multi universes, and so on, we are so intricately important to everything He's created. I feel like
1: having the near death experience, I am responsible to help people to learn how to like live their life um, open heartedly so that they can experience, you know this blissful feeling of the light, because we all can experience it. You don't have to have a near-death experience, it's just the people who have had a near-death experience have been awakened to show other people how to live life open-heartedly.
0: The NDE gave me an immense amount of responsibility. It's more than a sense of responsibility. It's a duty. It's a command
3: a lot of experiencers motivational speakers we do a lot of things understand like i do so much speaking so much everything like for no credit like no for free everything like that right we do things for so many other people and then sometimes it seems like we don't get that love back but in actuality you're chosen so it's kind of like i hate to say it but it's kind of like your job now you have to do it Like you basically, you work for God now. So it's your job. And eventually in time you will be rewarded and all that. But the main point while you're doing it is to not expect anything. And I learned that. I had to learn like not to expect anything, to help people. And then once you don't expect something, you forget that you expect this stuff and then stuff starts happening. I feel like every single person in this world has a purpose. If you're here, you have a purpose. You need to figure out what it is. And a lot of the times it's something that you're probably passionate about that you should pursue that purpose to help someone else.
1: I had doctors galore just come in to come see me. And my thoughts from that, just seeing that, I, I always thought to myself that I must be here to keep doctors' minds open. So I became a nurse. <laughs> I am super grateful because I am aware that I dodged a major bullet. I could be trapped in my body right now. Not being able to talk to you, not being able to, you know, walk around in the parks that I love in this area or, in, you know, enjoy nature. And so I know how lucky I am. And that alone puts me in this, like, a bliss-filled bubble. Interestingly enough, I love sitting in, in the dark. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm back there. Um, but I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is just a journey, like in its very
2: short life. We
1: think we have time, we don't.
2: Forgiveness is important because it sets us free. If someone does something to you and, and you're hurting very deeply inside and you're holding anger, Anger is hurting you. It's not hurting the other person. The other person may be going on with their life as if nothing ever happened. So if you can find it in your heart to forgive them, then you are not being held prisoner. You know, these people are not living rent-free in your mind and in your heart. So you are set free from that chain of whatever it was that caused that pain in you. So forgiveness really isn't about the other person, it's more about you.
0: The hardest people to love are those who are cruel to you, or those who are just mean to you or disregard your your well-being or are rude to you. But if you open your interior world to the divine presence, and that lives inside of you, it creates a capacity for humility and in humility lack of judgment against another out of which comes the capacity for treating them more kindly than they deserve so that they don't need to carry the wound of your emotional response back with them into heaven when they go i felt the love that i got was The love everybody in the
3: world is supposed to feel but i felt like the world somehow at some point forgot that or it was taken or something happened sometime to where all that love was not there
1: you absolutely have to love yourself in order to love others because you have to heal yourself before you can heal others and you're going to heal yourself with self-love with showing yourself love So when you get to that state where you are fully, you love yourself to your core, your energy is different, you're giving off a different energy, it's a higher vibrating energy and will heal others. So you absolutely have to love yourself to love others.
3: I know the mind of someone that is suicidal. They are not going to just go out and tell people that they're suicidal. So. I feel like I want to speak to those type of people too, so they can know like, oh, well, he knows what we're going through, like, because who else better to listen to than someone who knows what you're talking about. My book definitely touches on suicide prevention. That's the most important message of my book is suicide prevention. Some people look at the bat and they think, well, this is going to go on forever. But once the bad is over, then you start, if you actually have the patience to wait for the good to come, you'll be so happy you did wait for the good to come.
0: When I was dead, I was specifically commanded not to take my life. Creator told me, I am creator, you are my creature. You did not make yourself, you belong to me. You can't take your own soul and I've known a lot of people who've killed themselves, friends of mine, and I see the damage that it does to those who live. It isn't so much that suicide is evil. It's not. It's that it causes so much pain here. It takes the depression and the despair and the darkness and gives a little piece of it to everyone you love. I think that despair is a killer. Cancer is a killer. And I can't blame the cancer patient and I can't blame the person in despair. But I have worked hard to keep those who are suicidal alive for the sake of the others, but also because I know the length of a life is the wink of an eye
2: everybody has free will and there are that's a gift that God gives everybody no strings attached he's giving us the chance to make our own choices and with those choices come consequences good choices bring good consequences bad choices bring bad consequences God's not gonna step in and stop it because he We are his hands, his feet, and his voice in this world. We are the ones that have to stop it.
3: I think to live fearlessly don't be afraid of life. You know, like don't be afraid to love. Don't be afraid. A lot and a lot of people are afraid to love. They don't know how to react to love because there's so much hate in the world. So it's like when someone shows you love, a lot of the times people aren't used to it. So they wonder, like, why are you doing this for me? Like, why am I feeling this love? They don't know how to react to it because they're afraid of it.
4: Hi, I am Brooke Grove. My NDE was a coma caused by systemic organ failure of the lungs, kidneys, and liver. In December of 2010, I slipped into a coma after a long-standing series of misdiagnoses of autoimmune disease. I had been ill for approximately seven years at this point. They understood it to be related to the pulmonary system and the kidneys had recently become involved. I called my doctors and asked for their assistance. I took the medication and what ended up happening because we didn't understand that the liver was involved was that this medication which would have been benign to somebody that didn't have liver failure had traces of Tylenol in multiple products. Now it's not enough Tylenol that would harm a healthy person, But to someone whose liver was compromised, it created an overdose of Tylenol. When the liver fails that rapidly, you just release everything from the liver through the skin. So the bile, everything from the liver comes out. You swell up, you inflame very badly. You turn purple from head to toe so it looked like I was badly bruised. And I was completely yellow. Yellow eyes, yellow... The closest thing I can compare it to from the photos I saw and how I woke up later was looking like a mutant of some form. So in ICU, I begin to float out of the body. Suddenly I'm catapulted up, 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 up until I'm not in the hospital anymore. I'm not in even concerned about that human body. Suddenly I'm in the most beautiful, ineffable place. And the best description in human language is that it was like the cosmos. And I did not want to leave that feeling of unconditional love of being seen, of being received. It's the way that you hope that all new babies enter this world in their mother's arms. You hope that all persons begin life being held with that kind of love, that kind of devotion. And in it, there was no concern or judgment for the things i had done when i was in survival mode Uh, being a polytrauma survivor at such a young age we do often things to eradicate the pain and so i had spent five to seven years dissociating from my human body just to tolerate what was being done to it and so as i began to travel towards this beautiful source light this pure white light, the angelics came with me and they allowed me to know that it's okay if you want to go back to that light, that light is where you're from, that light, you're a part of it. And their term for it is that you, humankind are all fractals of source. You're all part of this light. This light's always been with you. This light has been inside of you. You can return to it or you can choose to come back and you can finish the work you have to do in this incarnation. And for someone who had never felt such love and forgiveness and well uh, forgiveness is a portrait of words. Acknowledgement that nothing I had done was wrong was more the way that it felt. Uh, In the human being here and now it feels like forgiveness but it was just that Everything was okay. Everything was always all right. And so I didn't want to go. Why would I want to go back to a a body and to a life that had only really known suffering? Now, mind you, I was 29 when my coma occurred and the trauma began when I was 12. And then it manifested as physical disease at 23. So the better part of my life up until this point had been suffering and profound suffering, not minor uh, in any form. And so I really wanted to go into the source light. And at the same time that I'm contemplating that, they say in the most beautiful way of inner knowing, That is again, it's so hard to put these things in words. They tell me that I am welcome to stay. However, I my soul came here, my oversoul, for a mission that was quite significant and it was in alignment with the mission of many many others who are incarnated on this earth at this time and that we were a team
0: i love i love fun i have always loved fun i've always been a outdoor athletic kind of person i find the places that put me into the flow of the present moment are the most fun for me so i I ski in the trees, and I ski moguls at high speed, where I can shut off my thinking and only be in the physical. I love to sail, and I like to sail, race sailboats where you have to be paying attention to everything that's going on at once. I like to bicycle um, and because it brings me into the now. I love to read books. I read lots of books, I meditate. I practice yoga. I garden. I write. I spend time with family.
1: For fun, I hang out with my 4-year-old Declan. He is my best friend. He is everything I've ever wished for and more. We like to go out in nature or go to the playground. We just kind of hang out. He's he is the album like, he, he blows me away. He's very intuitive, too. But I like to read. I, I love to read the near-death experiences. I actually do enjoy reading them because it makes me feel more validated. I feel like I found my people, like, yes, people get this. Like, it's kind of hard, you know, when you're, I, I never talk about it to anybody else. People just look at me like, okay.
3: For fun, what I usually do is make music still occasionally, if I have time to, just watch stuff like on YouTube or, because I always watch YouTube. I don't know if I could plug that in there, but yeah, you watch a lot of YouTube.
4: NDEs have different presentations or ways that they express themselves that in my humble opinion are in alignment with the truth of the individual. Being a recovering Catholic and an agnostic, when I went into my NDE had Jesus appeared, I probably would have woke up and been like that was a bad dream because it's not a language i spoke or would receive easily obviously that shifted as we have mother mary right here to our right um that said everybody's so different for me it was very safe and very fitting to have something that looked like the cosmos and felt like the cosmos because i understood science And so that was a language I could receive. Other people are devoutly religious, and so it's very, normative and very comforting for them to be met by deities. So I believe that the NDE accounts, they share some archetypal similarities, the divine love, the, you know, the non-judgment, the being shown aspects of your human incarnation. But at the same time, the way that it's presented, and what I love about how the NDE research and stories are expanding right now, is we're hearing so much more than the white light. You know, in the beginning it was all the tunnel, the white light, but those were cardiac arrest patients that were being studied, and that's a very quick flat line and back. Now we're having persons like myself who were gone for three and a half days. That's a considerable difference in what you're going to experience versus someone who might have just been under for you know 20-30 minutes or five minutes or an hour or you know, gone for that. So I do believe that the archetypal themes are consistent within NDEs. It's just how they express themselves are a reflection of the individual.
2: NDEs are different for everybody because, and, and all of them are, are real and valid, because every one of us is very unique and individual. And so the the NDEs are, are geared towards the individual person. So, if you were to have an NDE, it would may be like mine or be similar to mine, but it won't be exact. Nobody's is exact. There are common threats. You know, people come back and they're not afraid to die anymore. They have felt that love. Every single person has a spiritual team. You are
1: guided and protected more than you will ever know. And you're loved more than you will ever, ever know, or even be able to comprehend how loved you are. Like I said, the unconditional love that I felt in my near-death experience, I get through my son. You know, that's the closest thing I could possibly describe the love. But the amount of love that God has for you can't even, your body can't house it.
4: I don't know that I can scientifically or empirically prove the NDE to any skeptic, although there is tons of science now from, you know, um, persons that have really done empirical research to show that it's true that some experiencers recall what happens in the room. And there's a famous study where they like move things in the room and they then interview years after and see who's able to say hey there was a red dot that kept moving around the ceiling you know so there's tons of research on that in fact there's so much research now to prove that consciousness exists beyond death it's almost a mute discussion Uh, so anybody that wants to look at the science can look at that but to a skeptic that's unwilling to just look at the science my greatest proof as an individual is in the work that I do Because I do occasionally get skeptics. They're some of my favorite clients.
2: I learned that when we die, there really is no death, so there's no need to be afraid of it. We still go on. The part of you that makes you who you are still exists. All of that is so important, it's so beautiful, and we come here to experience all of that. And so we have to make it as beautiful as we can
3: so the experience i had with source was the communication was it wasn't audible like i am god like it wasn't like that it was telepathically so the words are being spoken you can feel it and hear it in your head but then at the same time the emotion behind it you feel it here
4: It was a combination of telepathy and inner knowing. It's like you'd think or feel into a question and then you'd receive an answer. And so there was no actual talking. I never heard any
2: voices
4: or anything of that.
2: When we spoke, I was using my mouth because I didn't know any different. And it looked to me like they were using their mouth too. But I think that was just for my own benefit. I don't think it was that way. I think it was more telepathic because it was like, as soon as I thought something, bam, there was the answer.
1: To anybody who has lost a loved one or, you know, someone is terminal right now. I just want to let you know, um, I've actually been there and it's a very peaceful thing to die. Actually death is beautiful. It is just as beautiful as birth, but we fear it so much because we think it's the end. It is anything but the end. It is just the beginning.
0: If you're the one who's grieving, say everything you want to say to the dying person. Let them say everything they want to say to you. Open every door, heal every wound, bind yourselves to each other, with love and forgiveness. And that will give you strength because dying is difficult for the living.
4: For those that have had someone pass on or are in the early stages of bereavement as they accept that a beloved is about to transition, the message I have for them is that it is entirely okay to be human, to grieve, to break down, to fall apart. Those are all valid experiences and are beloved by our creator. Yet when our beloveds do cross that rainbow bridge of light, they are held in the most beautiful way and they are loved unconditionally. And you will in some form or another be with them again.
2: you have to know how deeply loved you are.
1: You're loved more than you will ever, ever know, or even be able to comprehend how loved you are.
0: All the ones I've spoken to come back with a singular message of love.
4: You hope that all persons begin life being held with that kind of love.
3: I felt the love that I got was the love everybody in the world is supposed to feel.